This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Support for this podcast comes from Is Business Broken, a podcast from BU Questrom School of Business. Stick around until the end of this podcast for a preview of a recent episode exploring the history of investors holding businesses accountable and the dawn of the ESG, or Environmental Social Governance, movement. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Produced by the iLab at WBUR, Boston. A few years ago, a man named Phil Edwards was looking for a secret treasure from World War II, even though he felt no real deep connection to World War II. It was something he was doing for work. Phil's work? I feel like a certain set of people you are so famous for. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> like, they're like, oh my God, like, you make the explainers. You make the Vox explainers. A lot of people talk about Bitcoin as a new kind There's of There's a two-letter word that we hear everywhere. Vaccines teach your immune system how to respond to a threat. And traditionally, they're... Yep, Phil makes those explainer videos for Vox. But his official title... I'm very proud that I got ephemera correspondent on my business cards. Phil's search for this secret treasure was for a video he was making about something that was ephemeral back in World War II, even though it still has echoes all over today's world, the digital world and the real world. I had just moved to Washington, D.C., and I'd heard that there was this secret hidden uh, at the World War II memorial, and that automatically intrigued me because anytime there's a secret, I want to hunt it down and see what it is. Uh, and so I walked down to the World War II Memorial and it's this very serious, beautiful monument. Can you remind um, us what it looks like? It's a set of columns arranged in the circle and they're at the other end of the National Mall opposite the Lincoln Memorial and near the Washington Monument. And so it's very imposing, these tall stone columns, and they all have labels of different states on them, uh, representing everyone who went and fought and died in World War II. It's very beautiful, but I'd heard that there was this secret thing hidden around the corner. And so I go, I'm looking for it, I don't see it. The it here was not the memorial itself. Phil didn't feel much of a connection to that. It felt too abstract. But this secret treasure he was looking for, that is what drew him to this monument and what moved him once he found it. And I finally peek around and over a fence just beyond it, kind of hidden in the corner, is a little drawing. And it's of a man 
peeking over a wall. His giant nose is kind of hanging over it. And under it, it says, Kilroy was here. Kilroy was here. Hiding in plain sight on the World War II memorial in Washington, D.C., a little image with text staring back at him. The eyes are basically usually two dots. In some cases, they're drawn differently. But two dots, and then it's just a line drawing. The line drawing is extremely spare. It's this little bald head with beady eyes and a big droopy nose and two sets of little fingers, all peering over a horizontal line that looks like a wall. Even though it's meant to feel like a secret, it's not. The image and text is literally carved into the stone of this memorial. This was part of the design of the monument from the beginning. And I was really interested in how something so ephemeral as this graffiti could make it onto a monument and actually endure to be like a part of World War II history. This graffiti was part of World War II history because during the war, this little doodle wasn't just here. I mean, he ends up everywhere. Everywhere as in all over the globe. And yet, for a long time, nobody knew why, where it came from. It was just this recurring, mysterious piece of graffiti. Sometimes the text changed, there were different versions of the image, but the basic building blocks were always recognizable. And this guy, Phil, the ephemera correspondent for Vox, he's been slightly obsessed ever since he found out about it. Honestly, so have we. Because it represents what many believe to be the first example of something. Something that is really common decades later, in a totally different digital context. What did you start to learn about this figure? I guess what I learned is that it was really similar to a modern meme uh, in a lot of key ways where, like, the origins are murky in the beginning and then it's everywhere. There are different variations country by country. And then eventually even places like Hollywood are trying to capitalize on this meme and make it into a bigger thing. So there's just so many different similarities to the way that memes kind of churn through the culture today. I'm Amory Sievertson. I'm Ben Brock Johnson. And once again, we are asking you to listen to Endless Thread. Which is coming back to you from WBUR, Boston's NPR station. How do you do, fellow kids? We arrive with a new set of stories in hand about something that has become a building block of the internet as we now experience it. Jared, back to you. I can have cheeseburger for 400. Something that might actually be a lot more important than we realize because it's having a fundamental impact on how we as humans communicate. But the ever given has given us a tidal wave of glorious memes like this. And that communication has power to impact our personal lives and even define our recent collective lived experience. This is fine. And maybe change the course of history in big ways and small. This one's just from yesterday on David Duke's Twitter feed. Donald Trump kissing Pepe the Frog, the little white supremacist baby signifier. Memes. We are talking, of course, about memes. And today, we want to start with Kilroy, which, 80 years later, is, for people like Phil, a secret treasure with mysterious origins. Mysterious for us, and even for the people who were around during its meteoric rise in popular culture. 
Kilroy also has a record of mutation, of changing and morphing over time, with different levels of importance and layers of meaning. So we're going to learn more about Kilroy. And dang it, we're going to figure out where he came from and why he exists. Because he is, arguably, the first real meme. But what do we mean when we say meme? These days, we usually mean a photo, sometimes a screen grab from a video, but a still image with that bold white font on it. Impact font, baby. And that image can be anything. It can be SpongeBob SquarePants. And often is. It can be a puppet. It can be the fist of an anthropomorphic cartoon aardvark named Arthur. Or a kid swinging a stick in his garage pretending to be Darth Maul or actual Star Wars characters Anakin and Padme. One of my personal favorites. The term meme was coined by an evolutionary biologist in the 1970s named Richard Dawkins. Remember that name because you're probably going to hear it more than once. Richard Dawkins. See? But even though the term is itself 40 years old, memes are still pretty hard to define, even by the experts. And we talked to several experts. What do you call more than two meme experts? Is that a meme chorus? Meme oogle? Memeopoly? <laughs> meme team? Anyway, we got one. A group of academics and memographers who think about, write about, eat, sleep, and breathe memes. Meme chorus. I like that. Should we meme chorus it up, Amory? Oh, yeah. Ah. Uh... A meme is an idea that spreads from person, person to person, person and our style of communication that is created with awareness of So it's a recognizable, spreadable, but memes could be viral slogans, fashion trends, a way to exist in the world. You'll get to know these chorus members throughout our meme series. People like Don Caldwell the editor-in-chief of the popular site Know Your Meme. You think that memes are, are bigger than the internet. So what's like, what's an example of memes that came before? With memes that came before the internet, there's a, there's a really old meme uh, that was called Kilroy Was Here. Um, and that just spread through, you know, people seeing the symbol of this Kilroy character and kept you know, replicating it by drawing it elsewhere. And that really resembles the way that a lot of internet memes work. Okay, so taking the broad strokes from our meme chorus, we know that Kilroy was here, the words, and the image of the guy with the nose peeking over the wall was arguably a meme in part because it spread not through any truly unified campaign. It wasn't war propaganda. It was a meme because it just seems to have spread organically. One could even say virally. And even before people were using going viral like we do, a New York Times article from the 1940s described Kilroy was here as a contagious phrase. And this contagion spread fast. Kilroy was popping up everywhere during World War II. Kilroy was in Okinawa. Kilroy was in Casablanca. Kilroy was in Sicily. He's everywhere that people are fighting because... There's this original seed of the meme, but then very quickly, soldiers and, and others who are serving in the war 
take on this idea of, of Kilroy as this sort of mythical figure that has been literally everywhere. So, you know, they start scrawling it in the most unusual places that they can find. So let's say uh, somebody is is finding a, a cottage uh, in France and they sneak up to a rafter. They might scrawl it there just on the off chance that somebody else would find it. The Kilroy doodle was super easy to draw. Straight horizontal line, easy. And then the fingers sticking over it, totally cartoonish. The nose, too. It's sort of like if a marshmallow took human form. (laughs) And it would have to be easy to draw, right? For it to spread by regular GIs who, for some reason, are taking time out of their days, which for many of these young soldiers are filled with death and fear in unfamiliar places with no trip home in sight. They're picking up this piece of charcoal from the campfire or pulling out a crayon and doodling this kind of odd, funny little guy. Looking back at this phenomenon, the words in the meme itself are a non sequitur. There's no clear meaning or message at first blush. In fact, just the random appearance of it was the joke. A silly random image for a dead, serious era. Something recognizable in a world that was anything but. Kilroy's origin definitely seems to be among the Allied forces. But beyond that, it was super vague. Kilroy's simplicity as an image and the silly, vague quality of the image both became superpowers. Turns out, vagueness is part of what makes a lot of memes travel into the atmosphere, the ether, and stay there. Meme chorus time. Uh... Uh... Great memes invite you to remix them. And One of the elements that go with longevity and so on is, uh, you know, how much can a meme get taken out of context and still work? The context does collapse over time. As the Kilroy doodle spread, it did something else that's really common among memes that take off. It morphed, evolved. As soldiers deploying all over the world adopted Kilroy, they remixed him to reflect their own experiences. This, of course, also makes it even harder to figure out exactly where the doodle and phrase we recognize now came from. In England, there was this little meme called Mr. Chad, and he looks basically just like Kilroy does. Uh, But instead of saying Kilroy was here, he would kind of have complaints about his rations written underneath. (laughs) I don't you know? So, like, uh, Mr. Chad would say, like, what, no, you know, no meat or no coffee, you know, or something like that underneath him. But the uh, the accent that I'm giving him is because when I've read about it, the what is kind of spelled uh, W-O-T. So I feel like, you know, I feel like that's the way you have to read that. Like, No, you did what? great. Like, I thought it was, yeah. what? <laughs> what? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Kilroy got folded into the legends that Allied forces told themselves and each other about their advances in the war. There are stories that Stalin would be going to the bathroom <laughs> at the Potsdam conference, and then he would see Kilroy was here, scrawled on the bathroom wall, and think <laughs> that it was some American agent that was out to get him. Um, <laughs> there were rumors that Hitler ran into it, you know, when he was like walking down the street somewhere. I don't know if any of these are true, but they're, they're good stories. Anytime something like this enters the mainstream so thoroughly, someone is going to try to capitalize on it, right? Today we see brands diving in on popular memes to pretty mixed results. And this happened with Kilroy, too. 
Is there a creepy recorded song that makes no real sense named Kilroy Was Here? Why, yes. Yes, there is. It's a duet between a woman who is singing in a really weird Betty Boop-like voice, ultra falsetto. And then a guy who is singing in a totally goofy version of Kilroy. Can you give us a stanza? All I remember right now is Kilroy's refrain. He says, I'm Kilroy. Just like that. Did Hollywood get a piece of Kilroy? You know they did. A movie of the same name about a hapless veteran named John J. Kilroy who just can't catch a break because, well, he's famous. Kilroy was here. Kilroy was there. Mr. Kilroy, would you mind autographing this potato for me? How about a platinum-selling rock opera album by the band Styx featuring... Yes, the 1983 synthesizer-packed concept album this song was on was called Kilroy Was Here. Or perhaps you're more partial to the outcast song, Jazzy Bell, which has Andre 3000 referencing the figure's peering pose. Over the years I've been up on my toes and yes, I sing things like Kilroy. Kilroy because them folks might think you soft. 1996, AT Aliens, a millennial classic. Maybe a slightly more recent reference would be the horror anthology by Kevin Smith called, yes. Kilroy was here. Haven't seen it. Don't know why it's called that. Looks pretty bad, to be honest. So everyone eventually knew that, generally speaking, Kilroy was here. But what does it mean? And where did it come from? The moment you have probably been waiting for, Amory, drum roll. (laughs) We found out. We totally found out. And we're going to tell you in one minute. And I'll work on rolling my R's. Your brain needs support. And new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L-theanine, and caffeine. Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y dot These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Support for this podcast comes from Is Business Broken, a podcast from BU Questrom School of Business. A recent episode explores the long tradition of investors influencing companies to do better. If you even go back to the 1600s, the Dutch East Indies companies, you'd have ships that would disappear for three, four, five years at a time. And there were mechanisms that were needed because investors would put money into these operations. Stick around until the end of this podcast for a preview of the episode. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. 
Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. There is something delicious about knowing the origin of a meme. Delicious is not the word I'd use, but I think I know what you mean. Right? Well, it's definitely true that part of the point of memes as we know them is to basically become applicable in lots and lots and lots of different scenarios, to be divorced from their original context. Knowing the original context itself is in its own right a kind of badge of honor. It's like the primary layer of this form of communication that has become all about multiple layers. Determining the origin of an internet meme is one thing. There's a digital trail. Kilroy, totally different beast because it's pre-internet, and also organic and chaotic in how it morphed over time, which is part of why it's been hard to figure out where it came from. Without our massive, catalogable, searchable, machine-readable trove of information, you can't really do a reverse image search. In fact, the only way we have a pretty good idea of who the real Kilroy was is... (laughs) The radio. Just saying. It's true. Eventually, Kilroy graffiti scrawled all over the world, turned into legends about spooking Stalin in a stall, into a hit single, a feature-length film, became popular enough that someone started asking, where the hell did this thing come from? Specifically, someone at what was called at the time the American Transit Association, which started a contest on the radio in 1946 to find the real Kilroy. And in December of that year, they did. Supposedly, a guy named James J. Kilroy stepped forward, though our Kilroy Vox Explainer video guy, Phil, was not so sure. Along with Kilroy and the British version, Mr. Chad, there were these other versions from Australia, and they seemed to come from World War I. They were different, though. One was called Smo and was written as Smo was here. Another was called Foo. Foo was here. F-O-O was apparently a bit more of a mischievous character, and the name may have stood for Forward Operating Officer. It's all pretty thin on the details, but these forms, just the phrase, no drawing, supposedly came before Kilroy. So this is one of the reasons that I'm not quite willing to go all in on James J. Kilroy being Kilroy. I'm like 80% of the way there, but just not a full 100%. You know who is 100% though? A couple of people in our own backyard. That's confirmed. That's that's confirmed. That that happened right here in Quincy. That's a fact. That was where it originated. A while back, Amory and I went to the spot where the original Kilroy first popped up. Check, check, check. Amory was running the recording kit. We were on the waterfront in Boston. Quincy, technically. And we are in, like, a huge shipyard that I've never been to, but it's, like, so industrial. Like, so industrial. There is a power station, silos, piers. Look, that says Bluefin Robotics. We're looking for a battleship, and it is not hard to find. The USS Salem is very majestic. I mean, it looks yeah. it looks ready for battle. It's got... Mm. <laughs> I mean, okay. okay, it looks like it, it looks like it's been parked for a very long it's time. It's been parked for a very long time, but look at all those um, lots of guns. Look at all the cannons. Big guns. 
The USS Salem is technically not a battleship, but a heavy cruiser commissioned in the 1940s, and we are boarding her gingerly via gangplank. I'm just hoping we're allowed to just walk up, right? Well, this, they'll, this stop, very, they'll probably shoot us. If, <laughs> this very steep ramp. If they point one of the cannons at us, we'll know. <laughs> we didn't get cannoned, got up the gangplank of this heavy cruiser to find the true origin of this secret treasure. The original meme that went around the world. We made it all the way into the Admiral's cabin. That's a little rich for my blood, but I'll take it. We were hoping to make it to the Admiral's cabin. We got to know Margaret LaForest, president of the board of directors of the U.S. Naval Shipbuilding Museum, a.k.a. the USS Salem, which has been parked at this pier since 1994. Never got a parking ticket either. Gotta be a record for Boston. Also with us is an old-timer named Leo who worked right here in the Quincy shipyard 60 years ago after serving in the military. Today, he is a volunteer at the museum, who wears a black veteran's hat over a hard scrabble New Englander face with a hard scrabble New Englander sound. I was a ship fitter. What's a ship fitter do? Well, I actually fitted parts together. When the bottom of the basin, there was, all you had was your blocks that the ship set on. So the first thing they brought down would be the plates. You have brackets and you attach the plates all the way along in the bottom of the basin. Leo was down in the belly of the boats, attaching the first pieces of those boat bellies together. And back then, there were a lot of people building a lot of boats. When I was in the yard in the late 50s, there was about 6,000 people in the yard at the time. But during World War II, This yacht had 30,000 men and women. One of those 30,000 people doing this work, James J. Kilroy. James Kilroy was also working in the belly of the boats where people were welding and riveting. The riveters worked here. They worked on incentive. The more rivets you put in, the more money you got. Which led to an issue. Disputes about how many rivets or welds were getting done by that group of workers. When inspectors would come through and check the riveters' work, They would scrawl proof with chalk markings. So they didn't want to double pay them, so Kilroy would go down and he would count the rivets. And like she just said, he'd write on the bulkhead, Kilroy was here. So they knew that he counted that compartment. But in the somewhat chaotic 30,000-person operation, some welders and riveters got smart and started wiping the chalk off. So they'd get paid for doing new work that was actually old work which, of course, the bosses were not too pleased about. So James Kilroy started writing his inspection note not in chalk, but in yellow grease crayon, which was harder to erase. This was a time when warboats were flying out of the slipways of Quincy Shipyard into the ocean. As Leo likes to say, More tonnage than any shipyard shipyard in the country. country. That tonnage was covered in one statement, which you already know. And partly because these ships were going out of the shipyard so fast, they didn't have time for finishing touches. Well, some of these compartments never got painted. They were filling the ship so fast. The guys are laying in their bunks and they see Kilroy was here. At this point, it was just the words. No little guy peeking over the wall. Yet. Margaret says that's where the confusion comes in. The Kilroy was here, that line, the the GIs taking that phrase, that originated here. What I understand kind of the controversy about was, was Kilroy using the character or the Chad 
and that then getting added to the Kilroy. Did that part originate here? So the words originated here, but the image of the person looking over the wall... Was later, I believe, later added. Okay, we grant you that Margaret might not sound too sure there, but she speaks with some authority because she's been speaking about Kilroy for a long time. Back in middle school, her class did a bunch of oral histories on the shipyard as it was closing, and they played on local public access TV. So if you would like to tune into QATV and into their archives, you can see my great 80s hair. Oh, yes, Margaret. We would and we did. How long did your father work in the shipyard? Uh, He went to work in the shipyard in 1941. As a matter of fact, a couple days before uh, Pearl Harbor, before the Japanese bombed Pearl Harbor. Margaret and her classmates interviewed Kathy Kilroy Needham, James's daughter. Could you tell us any stories? Well, the, the Kilroy was here story was the, the biggest story that I knew because I was only four when he won a streetcar for being the original Kilroy. And uh, all kinds of reporters and, and photographers and, and all were there. And uh, there was no television at that time, so it was a big newspaper event, really. You heard that right. The radio contest run by the American Transit Association gave James Kilroy a full-size streetcar as a prize when they recognized him as the original Kilroy. Alas, the original isn't around anymore. But he did leave nine little Kilroys behind, including Kathy. Some of his co-workers from the shipyard remember him too. Uh, For some reason or other, he started writing. Wherever he had done any work, he'd write, Kilroy was here, and the word spread around all over the yard. And uh, Kilroy, uh, uh, not, I don't mean in a disparaging way, but uh, he was a character. <laughs> and uh, I have seen his yellow paint. He painted up. Kilroy was here. According to newspaper coverage at the time, 14,000 workers from the Quincy shipyard alone got into the ships they built and went to war, which helps explain the spread of the meme, too. It wasn't just randos who saw it in the boats. There might have been people who knew the origin and brought it with them overseas. Where it again did something a meme does. It supposedly picked up an image of the British version, Chad. So the doodle is really a composite an image with new text representing the literal combination of allies fighting against the Nazis. And this is where Kilroy started taking on more meaning. It was still this absurd little message, scrawled all over the place randomly, but it also told you something about where you were and who had been there before you. Leo says that's important. So once they got overseas in Europe, uh, especially the army, if they took a town in Germany, they'd write on the buildings, Kilroy was here. So the next platoon knew that the Americans were already through that town and they felt a little safer because Kilroy was already here. Phil Edwards from Vox mentioned this too. You know, I can imagine if you had been hiking in a country you didn't know for two and a half days, thinking that you're really far from home and you don't know the language and then suddenly you peer underneath a girder of a bridge and you see Kilroy was here. I can imagine that would be comforting and really unsettling at the same time. You know, Kilroy almost becomes this like omniscient 
cult-type figure <laughs> if he's in enough places. Leo, can I ask you how old you are? Uh, I'll be 87 in August. So you, you're, you're a veteran? Korea. So what does Kilroy Was Here mean to you? Well, I think it turned into a good image because the, the GIs took advantage of Kilroy Was Here. I, I just like to preserve some of our American history. I think we're too much of a throwaway society today. I was brought up in a different era. That's what I... That's about all I can tell you, really. In Leo's day, preserving something meant erecting a museum, a monument. In the digital age, we preserve ideas and images in a different way, often in meme format. And however we preserve ideas, preserving the mundane helps us understand the realities of regular people. If you think about ancient civilizations, most of what we have left from them are, uh, you know, these visual artworks, right? It might become the same if many years from now, everything that was left from us was, um, you know, Twitter. Meme Chorus member Gianluca Stringini there. And oh, please, Lord, don't let Twitter be the thing people look back on to understand this time. Unless it is a look at what us plebs have to say about what's going on. Our ephemera expert Phil, whose title alone proves he's been brought up in a different era than Leo the Shipfitter, has something similar to say about Kilroy. For him, Kilroy is this super unique meme from before the internet that's been preserved almost as a portal to the past. Personally, it's hard for me to grapple with the solemnity of memorials because I don't necessarily, I, I, I don't know, some of the things that are being memorialized are so abstract for me, like the number of people who died. It, it, it's ultimately a number for me, and it's hard for me to understand. But the second that I see somebody's sense of humor, I suddenly understand their humanity on this whole new level. And they go from being just a statistic to being a breathing person who wanted to make a joke. Kilroy is still being memed. It's been on TV shows, there are internet communities, a subreddit even dedicated to finding instances of it in the wild. And people are still adding new versions of it. It's its own memorial in a way, too. On the battlefield, it might have represented soldiers who had just died in the next push forward. And it is a more regular person memorial, not necessarily draped in the trappings of Bellicose national identity, something stranger, and Phil would argue, more real. It helps me focus on the fact that these were real people. We know that real people today have flaws, they have good things and bad things about them, and they can be funny and weird and unusual and disappointing and heroic. And so, to me, the fact that you get to see this meme that people were doing, it makes them people again, which is what I like about it. That right there is why we started our new series with Kilroy Was Here, and why we're going to keep going deep on the memes. Oh, the humemory. By the time we're done, you're going to dream and meme. JK. Or maybe not. 
because memes are changing the way we communicate in all kinds of ways, and maybe even how we think. Next week, the story of what may be the most famously ridiculed meme subject of all time. Oh, what the hell was it? Steals your keys, spends 20 minutes helping you look for them. And his mom. When I found out that he was a meme, I was uh, new to everything, okay? I had no knowledge of the internet, no knowledge of Reddit, and I literally thought that I could rescue his reputation. Endless Thread is a production of WBUR in Boston. You should 100% be joining our email list if you want early tickets to events, swag, bonus content, pictures of my bunny or Ben's Dungeons and Dragons characters. Do that by going to WBUR.org slash Endless Thread. Also, we really, 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 really want to know your nomination for the best or most real or most underrated meme. Call us. 857-244-0338. That is 857-244-0338. We look forward to hearing your meme ideas. Or you can record a voice memo, actually, and send it to endlessthread at wbur.org. We might just dive into the meme you tell us about, and we might use your voicemail in the show. Our meme series would be very hello, fellow kids, without the help of our meme chorus. The singers in that chorus? Joan Donovan is research director at the Harvard Kennedy School's Shorenstein Center. Sarah Layola teaches about digital culture and design at Coastal Carolina University. Gianluca Stringini studies online security, disinformation, and hate speech at Boston University. Amanda Brennan has the extremely cool title of Internet Librarian. Kenyatta Cheese co-founded the site Know Your Meme, and Don Caldwell is editor-in-chief. Please go find their work and benefit from their meme genius. Our series and our show is made by producers Nora Sachs and Dean Russell. We are co-hosted by myself, Amory Sievertson. And myself, Ben Brock Johnson. This episode was edited by Maureen McMurray. Mixing and sound design by Paul Vikas. Original music composed for this episode also by Paul Vikas. Special thanks to and additional production work from Josh Swartz, Grace Tatter, Frank Hernandez, Kristen Torres, Sophie Codner, and Rachel Carlson. Endless Thread is a show about the blurred lines between digital communities and the meat space. <laughs> you know, Amory, the meat space, like the space where all the meat is, like you and me, we're meat. <laughs> And we're in this space. <laughs> we're in the meat space. Okay. Um, if you've got an untold history or an unsolved mystery or some other wild story from the internet that you want us to tell, hit us up. Email endlessthread at wbur.org. Stay cool forever. Support for this podcast comes from Is Business Broken, a podcast from BU Questrom School of Business. Listen on for a preview of one of the episodes. ESG, or environmental social governance, challenges businesses to think beyond the immediate bottom line. But before ESG, the Balance Scorecard did something similar. Questrom's Eddie Riedel explains. The big thing that was groundbreaking about the Balance Scorecard is really this idea 
to move beyond thinking about financial statements, which everybody had thought about since the 1920s, right? That was kind of the gold standard for how to evaluate a company and its performance. And the balanced scorecard's big insight, I think, was to get companies internally to think about, well, what if you don't just focus on financial measures? There are other things that are going to affect your performance, and maybe they won't affect them today, but they're going to affect them in the short term, midterm, long term. Building in those other criteria, those other dimensions, and explicitly linking that to your strategy, to how your company is going to operate, what kind of big decisions it's going to make, that's really what the big insight of the balanced scorecard was meant to do. And at the time, uh, it, right now, it doesn't seem particularly revolutionary. It seems kind of obvious. We've been stuck in the ESG movement for a while, and thinking about linking these things to corporate strategy seems pretty obvious. At the time, it was a pretty big, whoa, kind of moment. Find the full episode by searching for Is Business Broken wherever you listen to podcasts and learn more about the Mayrotra Institute for Business, Markets, and Society at ibms.bu.edu.